Well, it's good to see you tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get you a text here in a little bit and I'll tell you where we're going to go. But first of all, a few announcements that I want to make and that is on Friday, Operation Christmas Child Sewing Day, ladies, 9 to 3 o'clock. And uh, so Teresa Romero kind of oversees that part of OCC that uh, the ladies do in sewing. So if you got any questions, you can, I believe she's here tonight. Yes, she is. And, um, and you can call her in the morning if you don't grab her after service. So other than that, 9 o'clock on Friday, ladies. And then uh, high school uh, per night on Friday night, 7 o'clock. And that, that'll be hour long for the high schoolers here in the youth room. And then Saturdays are all church picnic, 5 to 7 o'clock. Now we sent out an email because a lot of you know that CR 49, the Kingsburg uh, Hudson Highway, uh, they call it. There's been a lot of construction. So right there by the Banowitz, they had it closed off. Um, but um, Vertis says he talked to the county. They are going to have it open. So uh, the normal way, what we told you, go out uh, towards Kersey if coming in from Greeley. And uh, you can turn right on CR 49, Kingsburg um, Hudson Highway. Go three miles, and it's right there on the corner. Um, if you don't want to go that way, you can just go into Kersey, and that's what First Street, I want to call it Main Street. Just go, yeah, it just goes right through town, and just then you turn right, and you go three miles, and then on CR 50, take a right for two miles. Got it? Okay. It's <laughs> where all the cars are going to be, okay, out there. So you should be able to find it. it most Everybody's got Google Maps and all that good stuff. It's... Um, easy to find. So 5 to 7 o'clock, we're going to provide the meat, drinks, tableware, and uh, if you can bring a dish to share, and we're going to begin right around 5 o'clock. So hopefully we can just uh, enjoy the day, the evening. It's supposed to be a beautiful, beautiful day and uh, as we begin to end summer, and um, it's, it's wonderful for us to be able to do that. So hope you can join us for that on Saturday. Um, other things coming up. Take a look at your bulletin, what's going on. Ladies Bible study on Thursday morning starting on September 14th, so ladies get signed up for that. We're also looking for help for child care. If, if the Lord puts on your uh, heart to help on Thursday mornings from 9.30 to 11, that would be a blessing to the ladies. And just let me or Sandy know about that, and uh, or Celeste or Pastor John, or call the church office, uh, and we'll let you know what that is all about. Other than that... Uh, make sure that you take a look at your bulletin. I don't want to go over everything tonight because we want to get into our study. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, we'll begin there. As we're in part 2 of standing firm in perilous times. Standing firm in the last days. And today we're going to talk about standing firm in godly decisions. It's a text we went over not long ago as we just went through the book of Proverbs. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in here, and it's so rich, and it's, it's going to be such, a, a, I pray, an encouragement for all of us as we desire to make godly decisions in our life. But we do read in chapter 3 of Proverbs. You'll find Proverbs in the Old Testament, of course, right before Psalms. But we read, My son, do not fret my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life, in peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Uh, bind them around your neck. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of man, God and man. And then verse 5, a verse that many of us uh, are very blessed, uh, and uh, some of our favorite verses are verses 5 and 6. Many of you have these two verses memorized. But trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. In verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So, Father, as we go over these familiar uh, verses, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And, Lord, we live in a world that wants to pull us away from uh, the truth of your word and in making godly decisions towards making worldly decisions, leaning on our own understanding. Uh, Lord, doing what the culture is telling us to do. And Father, how we need to be instructed and encouraged in this area because every single one of us, we have decisions every day in how we're going to live in our spiritual lives. And Lord, what direction to go, the path we're to go down. Lord, directions that we need you to lead us and to guide us and to give us wisdom and strength. And so Lord, uh, I pray that tonight you speak to every heart that is here in encouraging us in that. And so we give this time in the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I remember reading a statistic, it wasn't that long ago, on those who study such things, and they were saying that on average, we make about 3,000 decisions every single day. And a lot of those decisions, you know, is what are we gonna wear today? When am I gonna eat for breakfast? Uh, when am I going to leave for work? Uh, what route am I going to take to work or school? Those are uh, everyday decisions that we make um, as we journey through life. But also there are many decisions uh, that we have to make in life that we need wisdom, we, we need direction. We're not really sure where to go or what route to take or uh, what direction we should go. And there are many decisions that we are to make concerning you know, our spiritual lives, um, our behavior, our conduct, our speech, uh, our purity, our faith. Lord, am I to go in this direction? How am I to handle this situation? I got a decision to make that is before me, and I want to hear from you. I desire for you to speak to me in a very powerful and wonderful way and clearly. So all of us, we face that in life, and we have decisions that come upon us that perhaps we were thinking, I didn't want to make this decision, and, and put into situations that can be very difficult circumstances. And so what we are going to look at today is we talk about making godly decisions. You know, it is important that we consider that, Lord, how is it that I spend my time? Who do I spend it with? What do I take into my mind? What is it that I watch with my eyes? And we need to consider the things that God is going to be telling us here as we go through this text. And I really love these first eight verses of Proverbs chapter 3. I think they speak so much to me because as we are talking about making godly decisions, standing firm in those decisions, uh, this scripture, I think that even part of it, many of you, you have it, like I said, verses 5 and 6, committed to memory. And in Solomon here, he begins the chapter by saying, my son, my son. And matter of fact, as we went through the book of Proverbs, he uses that term, I believe, 53 times he uses it. 
And it's like Solomon, he's saying, my son. He's desiring to give wisdom to his son. And he, throughout these 31 chapters, he says, my son, my son, my son. And what it is, it's a, a beautiful term and depth of care that he had for his son. And that's the first thing that we need to understand as we begin to cover this subject and begin to look at these verses uh, very carefully. Because the Lord says to you, my son, my daughter, that he has a, a, a depth of care and love for you, that he wants to lead you and guide you in the decisions that you are making in life. And as we look at this, there is very important principles and precepts that are given to us that are going to help us in making godly decisions. First of all, he says, my son, my son, do not forget my law but let your heart keep my commands. So the very first thing is we, we know this, that we are to keep his law, to keep the word of God. We are to keep them not just in our heads, but in our hearts. You see, these promises that we're going to go over here in the text that we read doesn't just sit on the page or fall to the ground or fail in any measure but it is the word and promise given to us. It's been declared to us to, from a God that loves us so much, who wants us to experience that abundant life. And as we see that Solomon, inspired by the Spirit of God, speaking this to his son, my son, don't forget my law. Don't forget the word that is given to you by the Lord and keep them in your hearts for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So as we journey through life and life can be long, there's going to be peace. In other words, what Solomon is saying is you keep the law of God. And sometimes when, when you hear that term, you think the law of God, legalism and rules and regulations. No, he's talking about the word of God, the promises given to you, the goodness of the Lord, the truth of the word of God. That as you keep them in your heart, that it, it means that you're going to have a long day, you're going to have peace. In other words, you don't have to journey through life being miserable. And you don't have to journey through life and walk through life and being deceived and in darkness and being confused all the time. But it is Jesus that said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. To be able to know the direction that the Lord wants you to go and to be able to walk in wisdom and to be able to have confidence in what the Word of God has to say. So here, as he says, don't forget my law right away. Let your hearts keep my commands. You know, there's a lot of people they can have verses that they have memorized. I've known people that they're like a walking encyclopedia when it comes to the Bible, but they don't really have it in their hearts. They can be very intellectual. You know, they, they know this, I know the Bible, but have you got it in your heart? And as we see that he says, that let not mercy and truth forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on a tablet of your heart, verse three. I like that. Some of you ladies, you have a necklace that you come in and maybe that necklace, you have a cross or something, or you know, it's close to your heart is what it is being said here in this poetic language. He says, write the law on the tablets of your heart. And of course, Jeremiah comes along. And when he talks about the new covenant that you and I as believers, that we belong to, that, you know, he says, no longer is it the law that is going to be written on the tablets of stone, but the Lord's going to write it on the tablets of your heart. So again, getting the word of God into your heart so it's worked out in our lives. Having a heart for God, having a heart for his word. 
So make sure that let mercy and truth not forsake you, but bind them around your neck. Have it close to your heart. Write uh, the word on the tablets of your heart. So find favor and high esteem in the sight and of man. So Solomon right away is telling us of some very important things. And as we talked about last week, as we discussed standing firm in the word of God, that we know, as I try to make some attempt here to some progression as we do this four-week series to stand firm in, in these last days. Uh, we need, first of all, to know what the Word of God has to say, to stand on His promises, to know His ways, and we need to have a working knowledge of the Word of God. And that's why when we do Bible study, whether we're, you know, in the Gospels like we are in Luke's Gospel, and, and we're in the epistles perhaps, or maybe even in the Old Testament as we go through it. Even if it's the book of Leviticus, what we try to do is, is try to get understanding to make a proper interpretation uh, and to make a proper implication of what the text is saying, but so importantly that we make sure that we make application for our lives. And every time that we read the Bible, there is something for us, for us today. Something for us to learn and to be taught by as the Lord is working that, that His Word into our hearts. So I cannot in words, you know, think or articulate to you how vital and important the Word of God is to us to learn it, to be diligent, to be a workman, need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. I cannot articulate to you how important the Word of God has been to me in my decisions when it comes to my life, when it comes to my family, when it comes to the ministry that the Lord has given to me, to every area of my life. There are so many voices out there in the world, isn't there? And we know that to be true. There are so many voices out there through books, through the radio, through television, through the internet, through social media. It's all around us that will tell you and me how to live. The best-selling books in any bookstore are all on how to have successful living. And there are mountains and mountains of books. There are seminars by the scores. There's retreats that are given to people and how to live life and be happy and be fulfilled and satisfied. How to be successful. There's all kinds of information. There's, there's Caribbean cruises and everything. And you and I have something that is so valuable and so important, and that is this book that is given to us. And we can listen to the voice of God, and we can journey through life and walk through life to where we don't have to be confused all the time and in the dark and being deceived. So the world's going to be screaming at us, trying to influence the decisions in the different areas of our life and how to live life. So first of all, as, as we make decisions, as we live our lives, in whatever area it might be, we need to be ones that we check the Word of God, that we are ones that we are looking to Him because it is the Word of God that primarily speaks to us. 
So to be able to, to make those godly decisions, you can write in your notes that we need to have that working knowledge of the Word of God. Psalm, one nine, uh, or Psalm 19, that is, uh, that we went over. Uh, I love what David writes. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And when you read those terms, law and testimony and statutes and commandments and judgments, it's all just speaking about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the Word of God is perfect. Uh, it, it is um, sure. It makes us wise, as he says. Uh, the, it is uh, the Word of the Lord right, causes us to rejoice. Um, the word of God is pure and enlightens our eyes and opens our eyes. You see, the world wants something completely different from you than what the Lord wants. And the enemy, who is the God, little g of this world, is going to try to come and bring blindness to you in every area of your life. He's going to try to deceive. He's going to try to trick you and set up traps for you. But the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, and they are to be desired, are they more than gold, yea, much, um, than much fine gold, and sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. So you and I, we need to understand again, and I know I'm parking on this a little bit, but the reason that I am is because there are Christians that are out there that are making many decisions in their life, and they're not considering what the Word of God has to say. And they are looking to the world, or they're looking to others, and they're listening to, you know, Oprah and Dr. Phil and all the other voices that are out there. And they're making decisions in our life on the latest trend or what is popular or what culture is screaming at us, which is good and acceptable. And there are many Christians that are ignoring the word of God. And I know that the Lord, that his word is true for me. And if you want to have you know, a life where we're going to see here, he directs us and guides us and gives us answers. I think there's some very important things that we need to understand about that, and that is, first of all, that we believe in the inspiration of the Word of God, as we talked about last week in Second Timothy, right? Timothy, know this, that in the last days, it is going to be very difficult days, perilous times. And we went through that list of the characteristics of man in the last days. Lovers of self is what it, it is telling us. Misdirected love, rather than having a love for God, having a love for self, because it's about me, and we live in a world where it's the focus is you. It's all about me. And a love for me. And I'm just going to say this. There's one way that I know for me to really get into a funk in life is when I get into that mindset and attitude, it's all about me. And I'm the center of the universe, and, you know, and I'm focused on me. Rather than doing what the Word of God says, that we are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after Him. It doesn't mean you walk around, you know, all, you know, like Eeyore, Ooh, it bores me, you know, and all this. You have joy because you are so valuable to the Lord. And he loves you, and he's made us new, and his promises are true, and it's so exciting. I'm a child of God, 
and I'm a citizen of heaven. So here we see as we go through this that, that the promise that is given to us as we go through this, uh, that we can know that uh, he promises to direct our paths there as he says in verse 6, and he wants to direct your path. Um, I know that uh, as people say, what does that exactly mean? That I think that all of us, we want to be directed and benefit from the decisions that we make. And here God says that he will direct our paths. That word path means uh, a way that's going to be for you to travel on, a direction that you are to go. It has the meaning of being straight, to be level, to be prepared. God wants to prepare a path for you in life. And especially you guys that are young. That the journey is long. If you live a normal life, and I want you to know this, that the Lord has such a wonderful life for you. And the reason that I am mentioning that is because I talk to so many young people or I get word from, from parents, from grandparents, from others that, that you know, hey, um, you know, I got a niece, I got a, a, a child, I, I know somebody at school that they're just really wiped out because of the world and what the world has done to them and the message given to them. And I want you to know that the Lord loves you. And he wants to do so much in your life, but don't get caught up in the deception of the world. Because the enemy is going to come along and he's going to promise you things and dang that, you know, dangle that carrot in front of you and he's going to use it to trap you and to trick you and to wipe you out. The Lord has prepared a path for you and he desires for you to experience that health of life. And he desires for you to experience that abundant life. This is a very special promise. Can you imagine anybody coming to you and saying, you know, I'm going to make a path for you and show you a path. And it's going to be a good path. It's not a perfect life. It's not going to be a life with no troubles or difficulties or challenges. But I want to make a Prepare a path for you that is right for you to enjoy life, to have that good life. And I don't think there's a single person that is here that would say, no, I don't want that. I want a miserable life. You know, I just want to be defeated all the time. No, we want that. But where are you going to look for that? In what direction are you going to go? And it is a loving father that is saying, I want to show you the path, the way to go in life the path mentally and morally and spiritually, socially and physically. And we are to look at this promise that he shall direct your path. So the question for every single one of us tonight, are you letting God truly direct you in the decisions that you are making? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many that go by it and narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few that find it. And if you're here and you've never really truly made a decision for Jesus Christ, none of this is going to make sense to you until you do that. Till you come and surrender your life to him truly as your Lord and Savior. As you come and you say, I need you, Jesus, to be forgiven. I need you, Lord, to, to give me a new beginning, to give me a new heart, 
we're going to invite you to do that tonight for you to come to Jesus Christ who loved you so much that he took a path down the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows, to that place of execution to die for you because he loves you. And he saw you 2,000 years ago. It was you that was on his mind and on his heart because he wants you to be with him in heaven, to be forgiven, to be his child, to, to have a wonderful life that has real purpose and meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment. It's not going to be a perfect life of never having any problems or challenges, like I said, but his promises are true for you when you go through those times, and he promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. He desires for you to have life and life abundantly. So how is it that God will direct our paths and make our paths smooth and straight? Well, we all want that, right? So the five things. Number one, knowing the word of God, as we've already discussed, as I parked on that. Listen, Timothy, we just kind of touched on it as we ended the teaching last week. Timothy, and in the last days it is going to be perilous. As I mentioned there are going to be those who are lovers of self, a misdirected love. There are going to be those who have a form of godliness but denying its power. There are going to be those who are going to be counterfeit, Janus and Jambres, that resisted Moses, that came out and, and were working signs and wonders. But they were no match for God. There are those who are going to try to get into your homes and, and try to appeal to your lusts and, and those who are gullible being drawn to all of that be careful Timothy evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse we're seeing it right before our eyes even today and you must continue in the scriptures Timothy Paul didn't say you know I think it'd be a good idea or it might be a benefit he says you must continue in scriptures that you've learned knowing that all scripture is inspired by God. So believe in, in the inspiration of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, but also believing in the sufficiency of the word of, word of God. And I think that's where a lot of Christians can struggle as well. Do you really believe in the sufficiency of the word of God, that it is sufficient for you in your life to give you the answers, that it's truth, that it's going to lead me in the right way that I'm going to experience that abundant life that he has for me. So trusting the Lord, you know, the word of God, that's number one. And then number two, verse five, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do you trust in what God declares to you? Do you trust in God and who he is and leading your life and, and bring to pass this word that is given to you, what is declared to you? Or are you going to put your trust in someone else and in something else, in worldly counsel, in worldly philosophy? Trust means that, that God doesn't lie and his word is true. And I can put my complete trust in what he says to me, what he's done for me in providing me eternal life. We can trust in him. When you came into, you know, into the sanctuary, you came in and you sat down, right, in that chair. You trusted that chair was going to hold you up, right? I didn't see anybody come in and take a chair and begin to kind of examine it and kind of turned it over and checked it out, and you kind of just slowly, you know, you came in and you plopped down because you trusted it was going to hold you. And know this, you can trust the Word of God that it's going to hold you up. 
And it's going to be, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, as he also would say, that be the wise one that built his house upon the firm foundation that when the storms come, and they do come, that when the rains came and beat against the house and the wind, that that house was able to stand. He is the one that hears these words of mine and does them. Don't be like the fool who built upon the shaky sand and then when the storm came, is great was to follow that house because that's the one that hears these words and does not do them. He wants to give you a firm foundation. He wants to give you that firm foundation so that when you do go through the storms of life, you'll be able to stand. We know the verse of Colossians chapter 2 that says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So who are you putting your trust in? Who are you listening to? Who and, and where is your faith in? I've told this story before when I was in college. You know, particularly when the semester started in the fall and it was still late August and September, my friends and I, uh, we would, you know, take off on Friday night and we head up to the hills. And it was back in those days where we just threw a pack on and had a one-man tent and a little stove and eat ramen noodles and all this. It was a lot of fun. And we'd bushwhack into some streams and different places and never really taken a trail um, that was marked. But we would do that. We were all over these mountains. And I remember one time we were going to try to get down to uh, one of the rivers to do some fishing. And we started, and all of a sudden the clouds came in. It was starting to get dark. We got a late start, and it started to rain. It was foggy all around us. We really couldn't see, but we thought, this is where we need to go. And we finally stopped, set up our tent, stayed there. The next morning the sun came up, and the fog cleared. And we realized we're going a completely different direction. And there are those who are Christians that end up in the fog. Because they're thinking, if I go on this path, this is what's for me, this is where I need to go. And it's contrary to what God says and what God declares to you where you should go. And you and I are to have confidence and assurance that God is true and good and his word is good and true. He's faithful and true. There are those over the years that come to me and say, I'm doing this because, you know, I thought this was right. I thought it was okay. My boyfriend said, it's okay if we live together. Because he says, we don't have to get married. You know, it's just a piece of paper, and God loves us the way that we are. And it doesn't really matter. Or there are those who are saying, well, this is what we're doing because everybody else is doing it. This is what culture says we're to do and how we can live. And we ended up adopting worldly philosophy and making decisions because what other people are doing or what we think is right, and it's very contrary to the way that the Lord is telling us how to live. We're going down the wrong path. And it's a loving Father that says, you're going to get hurt. I want to make your path straight. I want you to have that wholesome life 
That's what holiness means as we pursue holiness. It's a better way of living. It's a higher way of living. And if any of us go contrary to the way that God wants us to live, then we are headed for some difficulty. Not because Pastor Jeff said so, because the Word of God declares that. So we need to know the Word of God and then trust the Word of God, secondly, as I've said, with all of our hearts, not half-hearted, not with the divided heart, but the heart that says that, Lord, I believe your word. It was Elijah that said to the people, how long are you going to falter between two opinions, but rather I'm going to put my trust in God alone with all of my heart, Lord. Number three, also found in verse five here. So knowing the word of God, trusting the word of God, trusting the Lord with all your heart, and then lean not on your own understanding. Ooh, this is a big one. I don't know about you guys, but I'll speak for myself. I want to have understanding. Lord, I want to know what's going to happen next week. I want to know what's going to happen next month, six months, a year from now. I want to know how this situation is going to turn out. I want to know how, you know, my goals are going to be met. I want to have understanding. And I've gone through circumstances of life, and I know that you have it as well. You're going, Lord, I don't understand. And I want to have understanding. How's it going to work? Why did this happen? What am I to do? And we face circumstances that we need to make decisions. And we look at God's word, and we think, yeah, but Lord, how is that going to work out? That doesn't make sense to me. Lord, I don't know if that's very practical. I kind of got my own way and my own thinking what I want to do. Some people think that being a Christian, that, you know, it's going to be a mountaintop experience, you know, just kind of leaping from mountaintop to mountaintop. We know that's not true, is it? But there's a whole lot of valleys that are there. And we have a tendency and a temptation to make decisions based on our own understanding. I'll do it my way, I'll do it this way, because I think this is really what's going to work. And I've talked to, again, many people that have come and talked to me, and about their situation, I will point to them what the Word of God clearly says, and they said, well, I don't think that's for me. I think I'll go this direction. I think I know what I need to do. This is the advice that, you know, uh, my family has given to me, which is very contrary to what the Word of God has to say. And God declares in Isaiah chapter 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways, you know, are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thought than your thoughts. Trusting in the Lord takes faith. It takes faith. And that faith and trust will mean that you're not going to lean on your own understanding. But Lord, I'm going to lean on you in this time. And I'm not just going to trust in my emotions. Emotions are very powerful. But they can mislead us. We all have emotions, and emotions can be good, but they can mislead us at times. Have you ever woke up? Maybe it's just me. I've, I've woken up and thought, Lord, you can't love me. You don't love me. Lord, do, do you care about me? 
You even see me? There's a whole lot of people that feel that way. And even this week, the prayer chain has lit up from people that feel like that there's no hope in life. There's no answers and just giving up. They don't understand. Why do I feel this way? And why am I so defeated and so down? And whatever it is, the emotion you're feeling at that moment, that seems like that's all the attention you can give it to. And that's why we need to walk by faith and say, Lord, this is how I feel, but Lord, I need your strength and your wisdom because I know what your word declares. And you do not lie, and you cannot lie, and you love me, and you are with me. And you are not going to lead me astray. Moses. He's got two and a half million people. He's got two mountain ranges on both sides backed up against the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, here comes the, the chariots. We read this story. It makes a wonderful story to read. But put yourself in his sandals. He just came out of Egypt. You know, he's coming. He wants to go to the mountain of God. God tells him, this is the way I'm going to take you. This is the path I'm going to take you. And it's two mountain ranges and a Red Sea that to their backs. And all of a sudden, here come the Egyptians with their chariots. And the people cry out, Moses, it's the Egyptians. We're going to be wiped out. We're going to die here in the wilderness. And the Lord spoke to Moses. You know the story there in the book of Exodus. And Moses stood up and he says, don't be afraid. See, the salvation of the Lord, from this day forth, you'll never see the Egyptians again. And then all of a sudden, the next verse that we see that the Lord says to Moses, Moses, why do you cry out to me for lift up your rod and get moving? So between those two verses, there was a gap of time. As Moses stands up, he's trying to be strong for the people. He says, <clears throat> see the salvation of the Lord, you know. Don't fear the Egyptians. And then I picture him, he's behind the rock going, Lord, this does not look good. What is it? How are you going to work here? You know, oh no, we're in big trouble. And the Lord says, Moses, why do you keep crying out to me? You need to get moving. And in those times where we feel like there's two mountain ranges on either side and we're trapped and we're backed up against the Red Sea and the Lord is saying, lift up your eyes. See, they lifted their eyes and saw the Egyptians. And we can see how the world wants to run us over and wipe us out. And we need to lift our eyes higher and see the Lord. And he says, I want you to move forward. I think about Joshua. You know the story of Joshua when they crossed the Jordan and came into the promised land finally, finally after 40 years. And then there's that large city, there's Jericho, and there are mighty walls around Jericho. And Joshua, he hears from the Lord, Joshua, you're to have the children of Israel walk around the city for six days, and on the seventh day, seven times, and then blow the trumpets, and the walls will come down. Can you imagine Joshua going to his generals, you know, his his you know, leaders, and they're probably figuring out how can we penetrate the walls, and they're drawing up plans and all this. Joshua says, well, the Lord told me this is what we're to do, walk around the city. Yeah? Six days. Okay. 
Seven days, seven times. All right, then what? Then we're going to blow the trumpet and give a shout. Took a lot of faith for Joshua and the children of Israel to do that. It didn't make sense militarily. Peter, can I borrow your boat? Can I just go out a little ways and preach to the people there as he preached to the people? And then he turned to Peter when he was done. He says, now I want you to go out into the deep. And I want you to let down your nets. Lord, it's the middle of the day. We fished all night. You're the teacher. I'm the fisherman. Leave the fishing to me. This is my strength. This is my, you know, area that I know what to do is best. And Lord, you don't fish during the day. Let down your nets, Peter. They caught a whole load of fish that almost sank the boat. And I know that the Lord is speaking to some of us here tonight that is saying, I want you to launch out into the deep. That is a deeper trust in me, a deeper commitment to walk in my ways. Even though you might think, how am I going to get ahead? How is this going to work? Don't lean on your own understanding. Listen, that doesn't mean that you can't think. He's given us a brain, right? He has given us a brain to make decisions, but it means that we don't lean on our own understanding when it is very contrary to what the Word of God declares to us. Lean on Him. And whenever you're confronted with things that you don't understand, fall back on the things that you do understand. Daniel, in chapter 1, is a teenager there in Babylon. He is going to be trained to work the most powerful man on the face of the earth a man who is a hothead and Daniel said I'm not going to defile myself he purposed in his heart not to defile himself he didn't panic he didn't say well I'm in Babylon now well I'm in Babylon you might as well do as the Babylonians do give me you know the wine and the meat and all of this he honored the Lord and he trusted in the Lord there are going to be circumstances many of you have gone through this in situations where you say, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to work, but I'm going to lean on you and not lean on my own understanding. And then number five, or number four, that is, this requirement to have your past directed, verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him. Know that the Lord wants to instruct you and guide you in every area of your life. He wants to, us to cast all of our cares upon him, as Peter writes, because he cares for you. He cares about you. He cares about your job. He cares about your family. He cares about your marriage, your finances, your health, your trials you're going through, every area of your life he cares about. And I believe that every decision that we make in every area of our life, God desires to guide us and to direct us. And that is where we come to that point of, as we sang tonight, do we really meet it in our hearts? that I surrender all, that I surrender all. Romans chapter 12, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he has been so merciful, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The mercies of God are so great. He loves you. He saved you. If he loves you enough to save you, he loves you enough to bless you and direct you in what is best. And to know that God wants to work for good in your life, even when you don't understand what it is that he's allowing in your life. And before Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 12, he would break out in praise at the end of chapter 11 as he would say, Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? The problem is there's been too many times where I have. Lord, this is what I think you ought to do in this time and in this order rather than trusting in his riches of the knowledge and wisdom. And even when I become anxious, I acknowledge him even as the promise of Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, he wants to give you a peace that passes understanding. And in the decisions, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jeff, I got decisions on what job to take, you know, where to move, um, what car to buy, everyday decisions that maybe you don't find in the Word of God, but He wants you to go to Him, and He wants to speak to you. And He wants to give you that peace that rules in your heart. Colossians chapter 3, as Paul prays, that may the peace of God rule in your heart, and that word rule means a baseball umpire, that God's going to make the call for you. And sometimes it means that you're going to be going to him over and over again. I know that there are things that I pray for in my life and in the ministry that I just keep going back to the Lord and he's going to give us a peace and what direction to go. He promises he'll be a voice behind us, Isaiah chapter 30. And this is the way, walk ye in it. He promises that he will direct our paths here as we acknowledge him and as we trust in him. And he desires for us to be still before him. Even as Elijah is in that cave, he heard the still small voice of the Lord. The journey's long, and we need to hear the still small voice of the Lord. We need to acknowledge him and trust in him, and he'll give us that peace that rules in our hearts. Just being sensitive to the prompting and leading of the Lord, stepping out in faith. You know, this, this is what we're doing here at Calvary Chapel. You know, I, I start praying, Lord, where are we going as a church? We'll talk more about it in week number four, but it's like, Lord, here it is August. And there are services where we're crawling over each other. And if you were here at 9.30 this last Sunday, it was packed out. And I think, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? Now this week, you may be one of those 600,000 people up at the eclipse. You may not be here this Sunday. <laughs> That's a decision that I'm making. Should I join the people going up there? I'm not satisfied with 95% eclipse. I... Denver Post said 600,000 people from Colorado are heading up to Wyoming, just so you know. 
expecting major traffic jams. I, I'm just full of good news, aren't I? Just ruining, <laughs> ruining your fun. Once in a lifetime eclipse, 100%. So I thought, well, maybe we can go over to, you know, Sterling, head north there. Not going to be any better. So make sure you have food and water is what they're telling you <coughs> in case you get stuck up there in big, gigantic traffic jam. 600,000 people from Colorado. The whole population of Wyoming is 450,000. <laughs> it's crazy. No trucks allowed on I-80 or I-25 during the eclipse. Yeah, very close to calling out the National Guard. That's how crazy it's going to be. So you'll see me up there. So, so <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Got to make a wise decision. Listen, one of the things that I ask you is to pray for us as we do make decisions. Because I begin to think, okay, Lord, with the classrooms filling up and the coffee shops full and Wednesday nights have been filling up and 9.30 and where are we going to go? What are we supposed to do? And I know that he's going to lead us and he's going to guide us. He wants to lead us, doesn't he, as a church? And I can become anxious about it. I start thinking, you know, there's, you know, people say, well, that's a good problem. Well, it's still a problem. And I know that I need to hear from him and we need to hear from him as a church. So I'm going to be meeting with the board tomorrow and there's a lot of land that is right off 47th that I've been passing for years and thinking, man, this would be really a nice lot to build on. So as I have that on my heart, I take the next step, I start getting information on it, I was thinking, man, maybe we can get this. And I start talking to others, and this is a process that I've never been through, and start looking at preliminary plans and what the process is and going to the city and getting requests for special use and then building and, and all this. Is this what you want us to do? And I get anxious. I stay up at night, you know. I'm praying, and I'm thinking, Lord, I don't need to be anxious about anything. And I need to lean on him. And I start thinking, why am I even thinking about this? You know, do I have the energy to do it? You know, with my family and, 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 you know, the kids going off to school, and then, you know, Sue's dad is under hospice care, and, you know, my health isn't the best that it has been over the years. Not feeling good, you know, very tired last fall. And the doctor says, you got hypertension, man. You got a stressful job? It's like. <laughs> we're getting that, you know. And I think, Lord, do I have the energy even take on something like this if, if we were to consider it? Can we even do anything? Because it's expensive. What we paid for this building 17 years ago, you can't even buy a house for it anymore. And I start to doubt and I start to wonder and Lord, what direction and all these other things because one thing I don't want to do is ever have it be a burden on you and the people and I never want this ministry to be about money. The priority is the gospel needs to go through but 
the Lord keeps pressing on my heart. There are people that are hurting, and there's people that need to know the truth. And I don't know if we can do a prophecy update anymore on New Year's Eve because we're so packed out, we can't get any more people in. So I think, Lord, we're limiting things. And, and I wonder, and so I just ask you to pray. And as the board meets, and as we just talk about these things, you know, could we even get the, the land? Were they even let us build a church? And if they do, what's it going to be? And there's a lot of information out there, and, and there's a lot of questions that need to be answered and things like that. But I really believe that God wants so much for us. And I don't want to limit what God does. So this afternoon, I'm listening to my dear, dear friend, Ed, on the radio on Calvary Live, and he's talking about, you know, radio and how they were able to get you know, Grace FM, and when he started, you know, praying what the Lord put on his heart about buying a radio station, he was thinking radio stations are expensive, and, and you can never do this, and he was just encouraging, and I know he was using Ed to speak to me, that so oftentimes we want to limit God and what he wants to do. I believe with all of my heart God wants to do so much with this fellowship. And I've always said that the biggest danger for us is to get complacent. But we want to be smart. We want to have a peace. We want to, to do due diligence. We, we, we want to seek the Lord, and he will speak to us. So can you pray for me? Can you pray for this church? Because I know that you care for this church. And we are in this generation at this time to be able to minister in such a powerful way. I believe God wants to do that. Listen, there are people that are hurting. Teenagers that are suicidal. Parents that have no hope. People that have no answers. They're depressed, they're discouraged, they're defeated. And they live that way day after day. And we have a wonderful opportunity to be able to minister the gospel, which is the powerful salvation for all who believe. So I want to be what God wants us to be and to be praying and to step forward in what he has for us. And to remember this, he's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He just needs to sell a couple of those cattle. <laughs> and he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Calvary Chapel, be praying. I need your prayers. And we need to be praying as a church. And if we need to go to Another service, we'll go to another service. We'll, we'll do that. But we also want to be open to what the Lord wants to do, how he wants to grow us. As Greeley grows, we need to grow with it. So we need lean not on our own understanding. And know that God wants to work for us, and he will direct our paths as we acknowledge him in it and keep him the very center of everything that we're doing. And then number five, very quickly, and we're going to be done don't be wise in your own eyes. Verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes. But fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. 
I think about my own life, what my life would be if I didn't have the Word of God guiding me. I think about what a mess it would be. I think about if I didn't have the Word of God to direct me and the Lord Himself, how discouraging life would be. But we have opportunity to experience the fullness of the riches, the blessings of God. I get into trouble when I try to be wise in my own eyes, and any of us will. We need to go to His wisdom. And if we are wise in our own eyes, in any area of our lives, you're going to be defeated, you're going to be confused, you're going to be discouraged, you're not going to have any fulfillment. And you're going to be wondering and wrestling and bummed out on life. So trust in Him. Lean on Him. Know Him. Acknowledge Him. And don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on the one who in Him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for these words that we know, but Lord, we need to have it impact us more fully and, and really believe and trust in what your word is declared to us, even as we've done that, looking at trusting the Lord with all of our hearts. So I pray, first of all, as we, we begin to come to you for the next moments, I know it's kind of getting late and you're tired, but Father, I first of all want to pray for anybody who hasn't done that, who's put their faith and trust in you personally for salvation, for forgiveness of sin. That Jesus did come and die for you on that cross as he went down that path so that you can have a path to eternal life and forgiveness. He went to that place of execution for you because he loves you and he is your salvation. There's none other. He rose from the grave. He's alive. He's the son of God. Will you give your life to him if you haven't done that? And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. You rose again. You're speaking to me. I know your word is alive because it's touching my heart. And I come and I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior to be the Lord of my life. Save me from my sins. Forgive me. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and I want to know you and trust you and to live for you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And if anybody here, if you prayed that prayer as we finish, I want you to come up and tell me the decision that you made. But for all of us, Lord, how we need you, because I know that there are those here, probably most of us, that are making important decisions for our lives, for our children, in different areas of our lives. May we trust in you with all of our hearts, not lean on our own understanding, but in all our, our ways acknowledge you and you promise you will direct our paths to not to be wise in our own eyes, but to take the word of God and write it on the tablets of our hearts. And I pray for those who need understanding from you, a peace that passes understanding, and Lord, that you guide us every day as we go to you. 
hearing the still small voice of the Lord, having a peace that rules in our hearts, that voice that says, this is the way, go to the left, go to the right, as Isaiah 30 declares. We know that you want to direct us. We know you want to guide us. You want what's good for us and that we wouldn't buy into the world's philosophy and ways and trends and deception that will lead us astray and the traps that are there and the darkness and deception and confusion and discouragement and defeat that is there if we go by way of the world and a philosophy in our own understanding. But Lord, they depend on you for everything. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. May we be encouraged tonight and understand not only the inspiration and infallibility and inerrancy of the word, but the sufficiency of the word for our lives. And that you are a father that says, my son, my daughter, I love you. And I want to work in your life. And I want you to stand on my promises. Find comfort in me and direction and wisdom. Do that work in everyone here. Lord, we praise the church right now. Where do you want us to go? Lord, really, you bring the people and you promise that where you guide, you will provide. May we just trust in that. Look into you. Using it as a tool to further the gospel because that's the priority to do ministry, to reach out to those who are hurting, to those who are helpless and in darkness and deceived, to be a light in this community. Help us to do that, Lord, and help whatever you have for us in our workplaces and to our families. So, Lord, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for the love that is here. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?